Mishnah Torah, Hilcha Shechita, as we segue into a new set of laws, and I believe this set of laws containing about 14 chapters closes this book called Sefer Kedusha, the Book of Holiness, and that is Hilcha Shechita, the laws of ritual slaughter. Yesh Bechlolon, in general terms, there are Chamesh Mitzvahs, five commandments included in these laws. Sholesh Mitzvahs Asei, three positive. Shtayim Mitzvahs Leis Asei, two negative. Vezehu Proton, and these are the details. Aleph Lishchait, that first we must perform ritual slaughter. And only then may a Jew eat meat. We should not slaughter an animal and its offspring on the same day. To cover the blood of a wild animal, such as a deer, or a fowl, a bird, this law of covering the blood, does not apply to domestic animals, just wild animals and birds. For example, when you do kaparot, kaporos, the day before Yom Kippur, you always see people taking some sawdust and sprinkling it on top of the blood. That's the mitzvah of kisui dam, to cover the blood. Dalit shalelikach ha'eim al habonim, not to take the mother bird with the baby birds, and then if one does take the children first to send the mother away, and the explanation of these commandments in the following chapters. Now, one of the challenges of the mitzvah of Shechita is that to the naked eye, nowhere does it say in the Chumash, when you want to eat meat, call a shochet and shech the animal. It's sort of implied. Pedakrishan chapter 1, mitzvahs asay, nevertheless the Rambam enumerates this as a positive commandment. Sheyishchet, mi sheyirza lechel, that one who wants to eat should ritually slaughter, what? Besar behema if somebody wants to eat the flesh of a domestic animal, such as a cow, goat, or sheep, chaya, a wild animal, such as a deer, or kosher birds, first you shecht, and then you eat. First you ritually slaughter, and then you eat. Shenemar, where do we know this from? Because the Torah says, and you will slaughter. So that's how we know it from. And you will slaughter mipkorcha of your cattle or mitzaychan of your sheep. Okay, so if that's it, that's the source for cattle and sheep. It also says in language, describing a firstborn blemished animal which can no longer be brought as a sacrifice that we may eat it as everyday food. 
And the Torah tells us, Ach, however, Ka'asher ye'ochel es ha'tzvi v'yes ho'ayo, just as you eat the deer and uh, the gazelle, so you should eat this blemished firstborn. This teaches us that we can eat the deer and the gazelle. That shechita applies to the deer and the gazelle. And with regard to bird, it says, who hunts an animal or a bird, etc. He covers the blood. This teaches us that the pouring of the blood of a bird, meaning the slaughter, is parallel to the slaughter of a deer and a gazelle. So that's how we learn this. I think indirect is an understatement. But that is the system of how we learn these mitzvahs. I'm just having a little tea. I made a bracha before. The Hilcha <clears throat> And the laws of ritual slaughter. You know, I used to travel back and forth to Montreal where I studied and I was ordained. And there was a, a border we had to go through. It was the Plattsburgh, New York border. And my wife also traveled as a young girl to camp. So she told me she was once traveling to camp with a friend of hers. And her father, the friend's father, was a shochet. A ritual slaughterer. So at the border, they often ask you a lot of random questions. Sometimes they say, what does your father do for a living? So they say to this girl, what does your father do for a living? She, he sa she says, he's a slaughterer. They kept her for about an hour. So you've got to be careful how you translate the word shochet. Actually, I come from a family of shochet. My paternal grandfather, Rabbi Yochanan Gordon, was a shub shochet ubodek, as we'll learn, that a shochet also needs to learn how to inspect the animal, make sure it's kosher. His father was a shochet. Uh, somewhere the DNA kind of disappeared when it came to me because I fainted at the sight of blood. The laws of ritual slaughter are basically the same across the board, involving domestic wild animals, and birds. Therefore, when one ritually slaughters a domestic animal, a wild animal such as a deer, for a bird, he has to make a bracha first because he's performing a commandment. Who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us with the law of ritual slaughter. Now, if you are ever at Kaporis, at the ceremony with the chicken, Erev Yom Kippur, you saw, if you were there first, if you were the first online, you saw the shochet makes a bracha. He doesn't make a bracha every time he slaughters the bird, because the first bracha covers all the birds in that shift. What if somebody shechts, performs ritual slaughter? And forgets to make a bracha, bein b'shogig, whether inadvertently, bein b'mezid, even intentionally, habos or muter. The fact that we don't make the bracha does not affect the deed in a mitzvah. So you miss the bracha, but the food is still kosher. V'yos yolech al min ashchuta kozman shehi mefarkeses. 
Now, if you've ever noticed, right after the shechita, the animal still moves around. It's called the death throes. Now, the animal is dead, but the nerves are still living. And therefore, because the animal is in that state, even though halacha says it doesn't feel anything, but it's inappropriate to eat from it as long as the animal is in that state. And if somebody eats from it before it has completely died because it's still, its nerves are still causing it to move, he transgresses a negative commandment. What's the negative commandment? It's not it's not the prohibition that Noahites have not to eat a limb from a living animal because it's not living anymore. It's a detail in the prohibition not to eat meat with its blood. And this is certainly with its blood, because the blood is still causing it to move. However, there is no lashes that can be applicable here, because it's a general prohibition, and we're told in the laws of Sanhedrin that any very general <clears throat> prohibition that includes several diverse and unrelated acts do not come along with malchus with lashes. Now, technically, it would be permissible to cut a piece off of the animal right after the ritual slaughter, before it stops moving, you consult it properly, and rinse it properly, and then you can put it down until it's completely transitioned into death, and then you can eat it. And of course, there is another problem with eating an animal while it's still moving, and that is it's filled with blood. We learned earlier that we have to remove the blood, but this would be an additional transgression within the category of blood. Okay. Gimel. So we learned about domestic animals, wild animals, and fowl. What about dogim, fish, machagovim, and kosher grasshoppers, which as we've mentioned many times are difficult to identify today. But there is a form of kosher grasshopper. Do they need ritual slaughter? Einon. Tzrichim shechita. They do not require shechita slaughter. Ela asifoson hi hamuteraseisam. Just gathering them is what permits them to be eaten. Vaharehu aimer. There's a verse actually that connotates that. The verse says, Hatsein Uvokar Yishochet Lahem Umotzolahem. When the Jewish people demanded meat in the desert, they said, Where's the beef? So Moshe said, Even if you slaughter all of the sheep and cattle, will there be enough? Im es called the gay Hayom Lahem, even if you gather all the fish of the sea. One is slaughter, the other is gather. So we see here that asifas, dogim, the gathering of fish, kishchitas, bokar v'tzayin, is like the ritual slaughter of cattle and sheep. Ubachagovim with grasshoppers as well. Nemar, there is a verse that says, 
Osef Hechosil, the gathering of the locusts, Basifa Labada, teaches us that this is sufficient just by gathering when it comes to locusts, which are kosher. Lefiko, therefore, one should not think that we actually have to gather them in a living state. But in Mesum even if they died on their own, in the water, they're permissible. And we can also eat them in a living state. So there's no law that the fish or the grasshopper has to actually be dead. Okay, so now that we know that domestic animals, wild animals such as deer and kosher birds have to be ritually slaughtered, <clears throat> what does that mean? Define ritually slaughtered. Nowhere in the Torah is it clearly defined. So we need to define it. We lay down, we need to know. And here the Rambam enumerates a whole list of questions. Where in the animal is the place of slaughter? The finger, the neck, the toe, the belly. What is considered the minimum measure of slaughter? <clears throat> what kind of cut? What type of implement do we use? <coughs> I'm going to try a little more tea, excuse me. Is there a particular time of day <coughs> or night that we may or may not slaughter? And where do we slaughter? The Ketzad How do we slaughter? And which acts cause the ritual slaughter to be to become unkosher? Disqualified. Who is qualified to be a shochet? That's a lot of questions. Regarding all these matters the Torah commanded us, it said, You shall slaughter from your cattle, etc. As I commanded you. That's very nice. Where did you command us, Hashem? You shall eat in your gates, etc. All of the above list of questions and their answers. They were given to us by the oral tradition. They were taught orally by God to Moses at Mount Sinai, by Moses to the Jewish people, by teacher to student. Like the balance, like the rest. Like the remainder of the oral law, a parallel law would be tefillin. What are tefillin? What do they look like? How do you put it on? What color are they? All those are oral law. Shehi anikreis mitzvah. This is mitzvah. As we explained in the introduction, that there is the written law, and there is the oral law, and so much of the written law cannot be even comprehended without the oral law. So this is another mitzvah whose details were taught orally by Hashem to Moshe and Moshe to the Jewish people. Now the Rambam Maimonides will endeavor to give some of the answers. 
the place where an animal should be slaughtered, huatzabar, is the neck. Not the foot, but the neck. What part of the neck? Some animals have very large necks. Imagine if you're trying to buy a shirt for your bull. You'd have a big neck size. Bechol hatzavar kosher lishchita. The entire neck area technically is kosher for ritual slaughter. Ketzad baveshet. How does this work? It works with the gullet. That's where we slaughter. In the gullet area or esophagus area. Mitchilas hamokim from the beginning of the place in the gullet esophagus. Shekeshachet say that when it is cut, miskavets, it contracts. That's the beginning of where we can slaughter Ad until all the way down, Mokam Shayashir, until it becomes sort of hairy. And it begins to have fissures like the stomach. And relating to the gullet or the esophagus, that's the place from the place where it contracts when you cut it until the place where it has fissures like the stomach area. Six. If you go higher than that, this is called the entrance to the gullet or the esophagus. Or lower than this place. And this is already the beginning of the digestive system. It's not a kosher shechita. At what point in the entry of the gullet can one not slaughter in a domestic and wild animal? When it's small enough so we can grab it with two fingers, that is already not the place where one should slaughter. But in a bird, depends how big and small the bird is. And how low? Until the crop, which is where the bird stores the food at the first level. So that is what we call the veshet or veshet. The gullet or the esophagus, which is one of the two simonim, one of the two parts of the animal and bird <clears throat> that must be cut in order for it to be considered a kosher shechita. The next area is called the kone. What is the appropriate spot in the kone? How do we translate kone? Windpipe, trachea, mishipui keva, from the place where the windpipe or trachea has like a cap or hat like area, ad reish knap hareya, until the beginning of the flanks of the lungs, when the animal will extend its neck to pasture, that's the appropriate place in the windpipe or in the trachea to cut the trachea. We just gave description of the inside of the animal. Anything that lines up 
with that on the exterior of the animal, Nikrotzavah, is called neck. So now we know where we actually have to make the cut and what we have to cut. What if the animal strained itself and really extended its neck mucho mucho? The shochet applied pressure upon these two areas. And he pulled them up. And he applied, he performed the ritual slaughter in the place on the neck. And now that he's not pulling or tugging anymore, it turns out it was not exactly in the right place. The question is, it may be kosher, and it may be just like an animal which died on its own. It may be kosher because at the time that he performed it, it looked okay. It may not be kosher because when he lets go, it's not okay. The shochet should preferably perform the shechita, the ritual slaughter, in the middle of the neck, not to the sides. But if he's cut beginning with the sides, it is kosher. How much shechita has to be done? What's the measure? These two. Identifying signs, shehein, which are hakona vihaveshet, which are the windpipe and the gal uh, uh, and the gullet. Other words for them, the trachea and the esophagus. Hashchita hamaula, the best type of ritual slaughter, sheyechot chushneim, that both the gullet and the windpipe should be cut. Bein bebehema, bein beif, whether referring to an animal or a bird. That should be the intent of the shochet. However, not everything we intend always happens. If he shechted, slaughtered the majority of one of them in a bird, and the majority of both of them in a domestic and wild animal, so here what we just said. In a bird, if he only cut the majority of one of them, it's kosher. In an animal, if he cut only the majority of both of them, it's kosher. Preferably, we have to cut the whole of the two signs in both the bird and the animal. What if he cut one of the signs totally and the other half, in the case of an animal, domestic or wild, it's not a kosher shechita. Why? Because we learned that both, si both signs have to be cut more than half. Half is not more than half. More than half is 51%. Half is 50%. But if he did 51% of each of the signs, meaning the kona and the veshet, even though it was just 50.01, I'm not sure how you measure it, I guess you need a computer. 
Harezuk Shayroit's kosher. Being that it's slightly more than half, it's already considered majority. Eleven But if he only did half and on neither the gullet nor the windpipe, he did more than half. I feel even in a fowl, it's not kosher. Because remember we said with a bird or a fowl, we have to do at least one of the signs more than half. Here's a scenario where the kona, the windpipe, was half slit before the shochet came. Now it couldn't be in such a way that the animal's going to die, because then it's not a kosher animal. And then he cut in that area of Ishlima the Rev, and he took that, was, that which was already cut, and he cut it more. Whether he started in the place where it was whole and came to the cut area, or he placed his knife into the cut and came and did more than half, made created a majority. The shechita is kosher. Yud base twelve. One of the reasons a shochet is referred to as a shub, shochet ubodek, shin, vav, acrostic sign, bays, is because the shochet has to not only be able to do the act of slaughter, he has to be trained to do the act of inspection as well. There's a whole lot of things the shochet has to inspect. I remember my father of blessed memory telling me that my grandfather, Rabbi Yochanan Gordon, who was a shochet, in Eastern Europe, as well as here in America, he used to come home so sweaty and so exhausted and so beat because the guy who used to give out the job sometimes didn't like his attitude. They gave him the toughest job. What's the toughest job? To be the bodek, to put your hand deep into the animal and feel all the life and death areas and make sure that they are as they should be and that's more exhausting sometimes than the actual act of ritual slaughter now I know why I didn't become a shochet so call anybody who performs ritual slaughter has to check and make sure that the signs have in fact been cut meaning the gullet and the windpipe. If he didn't check, and then the slaughterhouse workers come, chick-chock, and they cut the head up, off, and they start severing the animal. That's a problem. Because once you cut the head, you'll never be able to see <laughs> whether your windpipe and gullet were cut, because now everything is cut. This is considered a non-kosher Animal, even if the shochet was filled with alacrity, he was an expert, he says, my animals are always kosher. The fact is that if nobody actually checked it, it's not kosher. So we have to make sure that the slaughterhouse workers or the butcher not cut the head before the checking, the inspection is done. Yud Gimel, kol there is a legal rule which says that an animal during its lifetime has established the fact that it's not kosher to eat. Why? Because it's living. So in order to change that fact, 
you need to have kosher ritual slaughter. Until we need to prove that it was properly ritually slaughtered. So this is called chazoka. We assume because the animal is a living being that it's not edible until we can prove that shechita happened properly and it's edible. What implement, what tool Yudalit 14, what do we use? Bechol Dabar, anything that works. Bein Bisakin Shamateches, whether it's a metal knife, Bein Bitzer, a flint stone knife, Bein Biskuchius, a glass sharp object, a Bekrumia Shokona Hagam, or a very sharp reed, anything that cuts. Who provided that? Sheyiyah Piachad that its edge is sharp, and it doesn't have any nicks or barbs. And that's a biggie, that the knife that a shochet uses or the cutting implement has to be absolutely smooth and no bumps. And we're going to soon learn about the test. However, if there was a spike, a bump, at the edge of the entity with which one shechts, even if it was teeny tiny, it's not a kosher <coughs> ritual slaughter because the cutting implement was not kosher and an extreme of something which would be non-kosher is a serrated knife which has nick, 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 nick. We want to have a smooth, the opposite of serrated. No bumps, no spikes, no nicks. Tes vav 15. What if this nick was only on one side of the knife? A knife has two sides. You should not slaughter with this knife, even though the nick is only on one side of the blade. But if in fact, you use the other side where there is no nick, it is kosher. How does this work? A knife which was checked by passing it over. And how do we check a knife? You pass it over either a finger or fingernail, and you have to know how to do that or you can cut your finger off. It's got to be very delicately. You could ruin your whole day. And as it passes over, you don't feel any nicks or spikes. But then you bring it back. You're going to feel a nick. So there's the fore and the back. Sometimes in the fore direction you won't feel a nick. In the back direction you will. If he only went frontwards, then he went in the direction where there was no nick. Then it's kosher. But if he also came back where there was a nick, the nick makes it not kosher. I'm sorry, where are psula, then it's not kosher. Another scenario, sakin a knife, which is wavy and curvy up and down like a snake. However, the aim bop gam, it's not nicked or spiked, it's just a little curvy. You may use it because you can create a smooth cut. However, a knife which 
The edge is smooth but not sharp, which means there are no nicks and no spikes, but it's also not very sharp. being that there's no nick, technically one can use it to perform the shkita, the ritual slaughter. Even though, theoretically, he has to go back and forth all day. And of course, he can't go back and forth all day. There are many other violations you encounter. But the fact that it's not sharp is not the problem. Stopping is a problem. You can't stop in the middle of the shechita. Shechita sikshita, it is kosher, theoretically. Very hard to actually perform that. Yudchez, sakin when a sharp knife has been wedded or sharpened, but its blade is not smooth, so when one touches it, it's like touching the tip of an ear of grain, which becomes snarled on one's finger, but it's not like a major spike or a major nick. Being that it's not spiked or nicked, we can shecht it because it's ever so slight. What if somebody uproots a very sharp reed or takes a tooth out of an animal? Or cuts a flint or a nail of an animal. And they're very sharp. And there's nothing that is spiked about it or there are no nicks. There's no reason you can't use it. It meets all the requirements. However, what if he said, listen, let me plant one of the above implements into the ground. Let me run the animal past the implement. Why do I have to run the implement past the animal? Let me walk the animal past the implement. It's called walk and shecht. Not kosher. You should not shecht by passing the animal through the stationary cutting implement. But if he did it and it was proper, it is kosher. But to begin with, one has to be able to uproot and hold the implement. What if he used it as they were connected in the beginning of their creation? such as a reed growing from the ground, then it's not kosher. Even though it's perfectly smooth without nicks or spikes. What if he took the jawbone of an animal? Which has very sharp teeth. And slaughtered with the jawbone. He got a lot of sharp teeth. It's not kosher. Because it becomes like a sickle. Or a saw. But if it was one sharp tooth in the jawbone, then the jawbone becomes like a handle. Why not? Even though the tooth is stationary, set in the jawbone. What if somebody made the knife red hot or white hot technically, and used a white hot knife to slaughter the animal? Although you can argue that the heat killed the animal and not the knife, but the fact is the knife killed it. It's kosher. If one side of the knife is jagged edged, like a sickle, which is not kosher, 
and the other is smooth. Don't even use the smooth side. We're concerned that he may intend to use the smooth side and use the sickle side. But if he did, being that he knows for sure that he used the appropriate side, it's kosher. Chab Gimel 23 HaShechet must inspect the knife at its tip and on each side. How does he check it? brings it back and forth on the flesh of the tip of his finger, and he brings it back and forth, on his fingernail edge, testing the three edges of the knife, which are the mouth, and the two sides, in order that there be no nicks, and no spikes, which is a big no-no, when it comes to shechting, and then and only then, may he slaughter with it, Cain Achar Hashchita, one should check one's knife after the ritual slaughter as well. And this is debatable. If he finds a nick after it shechted, after the animal was slaughtered, then it's questionable as to whether the animal is kosher or not. Maybe the knife became nicked when it pierced the skin before the slaughter. And when he cut, the signs, Pesach and Pegumah Shachar, he did so with a nicked or spiked knife. Therefore, it would not be kosher. Therefore, when somebody slaughters many animals or many birds, he has to check between every one, because if he doesn't, and then he checks at the end, and he finds it's a problem, then going back, they're all problematic. Even the first one. And again, there's a lot of discussion as to how often and when and what. What if the Shochet checked the knife and used it for ritual slaughter and did not check it afterwards and then and he broke a bone with the knife or he cut a piece of wood or some kind of hard surface and then he checked it and he found it nicked his slaughter is kosher we can safely assume that the nick or the spike occurred with the hard substance which followed the shechita. So also, if he intentionally, or maybe not intentionally, but he sinned, I guess intentionally, or it was lost and he never checked it, we can assume it's kosher. Now there is an age-old tradition that the shochet shows his knife to a rabbi, to a scholar, to check. In fact, it has become an act of respect. When a shochet encounters a rabbi, he says, here, check my knife. Kol tabach, any shochet, the word tabach suggests one who is a mass shochet. He shechts not one animal for himself, but he does it for a living. Where he does not bring his knife before a scholar. He just took it upon himself to become a commercial shochet without having a rabbi check his knife. 
This knife must now be checked. If it's good, in good shape, just for not checking it, he's excommunicated. But his food is kosher, up to now. Because if we don't excommunicate him until he repents, he's going to rely upon himself a second time. His knife may be nicked, and he's going to slaughter with this knife. So basically we're saying one cannot trust oneself because one does not have the objectivity. But if when the scholar is checking the knife, which was not checked for a long time, if it's found nicked, then he's removed from his position as shochet, and he's also excommunicated, an announcement is made, any meat that he slaughtered is not kosher because his knife was nicked, and he didn't, as a rule, have the rabbi or the scholar check his knife. How long is the knife of a shochet? The answer is kol shehu. There is no specific length. But it should not be that thin that it'll pierce rather than cut. Like the head of a blade or so on. And when do we shecht? Uh, is there a certain time or day or night? Of day or night? The answer is Bechalzman, any time. Day or night. As long as there is a flare, a torch burning to give sufficient light. He has to see what he does. But if he slaughters in the dark, I guess once the inspection is done, turns out okay, it's kosher. 29 closing paragraph of chapter 1 of Shechita. What if somebody completely didn't realize it was Yom Kippur? He didn't realize it was Shabbos, or he didn't realize it was forbidden to slaughter on Yom Kippur or Shabbos. So it was an inadvertent violation. Of course, it is forbidden to slaughter ritually on Yom Kippur or Shabbos. But he didn't know it. Even though, theoretically, if he did this intentionally under the right conditions, with witnesses warning him and observing him, it might be susceptible to a death penalty. Nevertheless, being that this was inadvertent, there's no reason the ritual slaughter should not be considered kosher. Commentaries bring down. You should probably wait until after Shabbos or after Yom Kippur. It should be long enough for it to be shechted afterwards before he actually makes use of this animal. End of chapter 1.